Good evening, and welcome to Oddity, a love letter to the unexplained. My name is Joe. Joining me, as always, is Keith. Good evening, everyone. And today, we are talking about one of the most sinister cryptids of all time, the Wendigo. Yeah, this is one of my personal favorites, and this thing is malicious, it's nasty, it's mean, it's cruel. To me, one of the most pure embodiments of evil but i'm really excited about this the legend and the stories are some of my favorite especially cryptid related so i I can't wait to get into this yeah i'm excited too this is like i said one of the most sinister cryptids it's obviously a, a native american spirit or demon but before we get into that i do want to get into a bit of housekeeping just to kick off the show you might have noticed our upload schedule has changed we will be uploading every other Friday for the foreseeable future. That might change, that might not. We'll see how everything shakes out. I hope you all enjoyed our episode last week on the Chupacabra. I know we had a lot of fun recording it. And keep an eye out. We will soon be dropping merch. We'll have stickers and maybe a t-shirt, but we'll have that probably by the summer. Also for Patreon, Patreon, we will be doing our Batman 1989 movie episode. Your exclusive episode will be uploaded this month, the month of March. So keep an eye out for that. And for folks who are unaware, we do have a Patreon page for $4 a month. You are able to get access to all of our exclusive movie analysis episodes that we are doing, as well as some discounts on our merchandise. As always, follow us on Twitter at Oddity2. That's Oddity T-O, like time out. And also patreon.com slash Oddity Studios, capital O, capital S. And send us all your emails. I want to hear ghost stories, close encounters, cryptid encounters. Send them all to podcast at oddity.studio. 
I'm still looking for ghost stories. I'm still looking for Ouija board stories. So please send them on in. Yeah, please send them our way. We're really excited. We got a lot of really good interaction with a lot of people in regard to listener stories. So if that's something you'd like to hear more of, please send them our way. We would love to share those stories with everyone. Yes. Like I said, I'd love to hear it. But otherwise, we'll jump into the Wendigo. So let's talk about what the Wendigo is. Wendigo is a mythological creature or evil spirit which originates from the folklore of First Nations peoples based in and around the East Coast forests of Canada, the Great Plains region of the United States, and the Great Lakes regions of the United States and Canada. They are grouped in the modern Algonquin family of languages. The Wendigo is often said to be a malevolent spirit, sometimes depicted as a creature with human-like characteristics that can possess human beings. The Wendigo is known to invoke feelings of insatiable greed and hunger, as well as the desire to cannibalize others and the propensity to commit murder in those that fall under its influence. I know the Wendigo, to me, it's always been referred to as the Wendigo, but it goes by various other names by the First Nations people, such as different spelling of Wendigo with an I, the Wendigo, the Wendigo, the Wendiga, the Watiko, and then a couple others. But the, the Wendigo is roughly translated as the evil spirit that devours mankind. This is one of the scarier creatures for me because my understanding of it is it's not quite a corporeal being, but it's also not quite a spiritual being. It's somewhere in that middle space where it's a strong enough spirit to affect the physical world and possess people, but it's also able to take a physical form if it so chooses. And to me, that's kind of, that's really one of the scarier aspects of it is because it's something that doesn't belong in this world, but it seems to be in this world. So like, like Joe said, it's uh, seen as a very malevolent, cannibalistic, supernatural spirit of immense supernatural, spiritual power and physical power. It's always strongly associated with winter and the north and cold. So a lot of explanation can be that they gave a personification to the harsh winters in the north and the famine and starvation that can come along with that, as well as man's greed. So from a scientific point of view, that could make sense that this spirit that is so malevolent and just evil and vile is a personification of all these horrible things. but. There's also a lot of evidence and a lot of stories that we'll get into later of this actually being a creature that can affect the physical world, be it spiritually, physically, even emotionally, and just other aspects of it that can just affect people. And it's it's crazy to me that something like this could exist. And for those who are unfamiliar, let me give a description of what the Wendigo looks like. The Wendigo was gaunt to the point of emaciation. Its desiccated skin pulled tautly over its bones, with its bones pushing out against its skin. Its complexion was that of ash gray or death. Its eyes pushed back deep into its sockets. The Wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton recently disinterred from the grave. What lips it had were tattered and bloody, unclean and suffering from separation of its flesh. The Wendigo gave up a strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition, of death 
and corruption. So this is a description of the Wendigo. Other popular descriptions of this have it with antlers or a deer's skull as well. But it is a very terrifying looking creature, like a almost like a zombie, how we'd interpret a zombie. This creature is, by the descriptions, a very intimidating presence. Most people in their descriptions say that it's at least 10 feet tall, very desiccated. This It looks like it's malnourished, looks like it's an animal that's starving to death. A lot of people say it has an enormous head of some sort with almost like a headdress. The wearing of like the headdress does harken back to First Nations people, but also it's almost in a way that this creature is trying to hide itself, almost similar to a wolf in sheep's clothing because it does choose an animal that's very docile, like a deer or an elk. But otherwise, I mean, they're described as having just gigantic teeth and just a really deformed, rotten mouth. I'd read before that a lot of that is attributed to the extreme hunger that the Wendigo feels or someone who is afflicted by the Wendigo. If they're not able to find any kind of fresh flesh, they just start feeding on themselves. So that's why their lips are just so destroyed and just almost non-existent. Now, one other description, along with the Algonquin legend, describes a creature as a giant with a heart of ice. Sometimes it is thought to be entirely made of ice. Its body is skeletal and deformed with missing lips and toes. So again, that could be an allegory for the very, very harsh winters that these people suffered through in the upper north. But still, coming upon something like this whenever you're out hunting and you've been told stories of something like this, I feel like it would definitely be a life-changing experience to experience something like this or come across something like this, much like any other cryptid. But there's there's just something more sinister about the Wendigo. If you were to encounter it, it's still able to affect you past the initial encounter. It's not just a, oh, I saw a Bigfoot in the woods kind of thing. It's something that almost infects your soul. That's the scary part about these, and it is terrifying to see someone or something possessed by a Wendigo. I know there was another description from the Ojibwa people, and they describe it as a large creature as tall as a tree. Obviously, trees being upwards of 8 to 10 feet tall easily, with a lipless mouth and jagged teeth. Its breath was a strange hiss, its footprints full of blood and it ate any man, woman, or child ventured into its territory. And those were the lucky ones. Sometimes the Wendigo chose to possess a person instead, and then the luckless individual became a Wendigo itself, hunting down those he had once loved and feasting upon their flesh. So it is incredibly, I'd say, the most evil thing we've ever discussed. I'd say the Wendigo is definitely a being of pure evil. And that description almost marks it as a territorial hunter more than spirit looking for a vessel. I come from a Christian background, but I think the Wendigo to me is even more terrifying than anything that the devil or demons could ever do or ever be. This thing is horrifying, especially denoting that it has the intelligence to choose who it wants to possess and also affecting other people. How I've heard it is if it is able to detect any type of greediness or gluttony, 
that's basically a window into your soul that it's able to split itself in a weird way and you become a Wendigo itself. And the fact that it then possesses that person to destroy the people that are the closest to them, like Joe said, I mean, this is something of just absolute pure terror and pure evil. Some of the other attributes of the Wendigo, in different versions, the Wendigo is said to have an extreme speed and agility. So it's a very, very efficient hunter. It's very fast. And the interesting thing about it is the only thing that it craves is human flesh. So it's not out there hunting deer, hunting bear or anything like that. It's specifically targeting human beings. Now there are some other descriptions that the Wendigo does walk in a more haggard manner as if it's basically a corpse that's falling apart. With that story, the speed wouldn't necessarily be the skill that it would rely upon because it does have another terrifying characteristic. Joe, do you want to tell them about probably the scarier aspect of the Wendigo and how it's able to hunt humans so effectively? Yeah, Wendigos can easily mimic voices and not just a random human's voice, but the voice of someone you know or someone you love. It draws you in by mimicking the voice of a loved one, either calling to you or calling out for help. And once you get close, it consumes you. Now, one other cryptid that's been getting a lot of notoriety is the knot deer. A lot of people are speculating that the knot deer is a way that the Wendigo is camouflaging itself with all the technology that's being brought into the woods and the forests. You got trail cameras, you got people that are able to basically have a camera on them at all times with modern cell phones. So that would be a really effective and really smart way for this creature to hide itself even further. It's just a normal looking deer, but there's something not quite right about it. Yeah, I think that's a good thing to point out is that the Wendigo does emulate a deer or an elk in a lot of ways. And it is good to talk about that and really because yeah the not deer is a very new cryptid i believe you told me about that a few months ago and now it's kind of popping up everywhere so it's interesting to see and we can talk about the not deer in long form obviously but yeah maybe it's you're right like an evolution or a camouflage of the wendigo to keep it from being discovered i know that is a lot of what we're thinking at least on our end on the oddity end and I have to believe that, yeah. Another culprit that could be a cryptid that could basically fill kind of this niche is of course Sasquatches out there that could be very similar. It could be a diseased or very sick Sasquatch that people are coming across. I mean, the height, the veracity of it attacking people and things like that, it very much so makes sense with an animal that could be diseased in a way like rabies or some other disease that we haven't encountered because we don't have physical evidence of Sasquatch yet. So that could be one that I did want to bring up. And this leans a little bit more towards the spiritual side of the Wendigo and the First Nations people is skinwalkers. Now skinwalkers have been more attributed to the, the Southwest and those tribes out in that area, them transforming a little bit more wolf-like. What if the Wendigo is just a witch doctor or someone who is able to change their form into this monstrous creature uh, as a way for the tribes to battle? Because there are some stories that, that go back to the First Nations peoples where they're talking about how something like the Wendigo is unleashed upon the warring tribe and the tribe that unleashed it will hide until the winter is over and the Wendigo is thought to have starved to death. 
That's true. And Skinwalkers is a whole can in and of itself. That's a whole can worth we can open in a separate episode. Because I think Skinwalkers are another terrifying, terrifying Native American legend that we should talk about at length at some point. But I do want to talk about Wendigos for a second. And there are some legends as to how Wendigos have come to be. So one of those legends states that a Wendigo is created whenever a human resorts to cannibalism to survive. In the past, and I'm talking like the way past, this occurred more often when Native Americans and settlers found themselves stranded in the bitter snows and ice of the northern woods, so in winter, and sometimes they'd be stranded for days. And if there were survivors, they would become compelled to cannibalize the dead to survive. Other versions of these legends cite that humans have displayed qualities like extreme greed, extreme gluttony, and extreme excess could also be possessed by the Wendigo. This legend, this myth, was mostly used to encourage cooperation and moderation, but I think there is something to it. I feel like all legends and all myths are rooted in some truth. Now, it can be argued that the story of the Wendigo is a cautionary tale against the excesses of being too greedy with your land or your property or your food, but also to just really shine people away from the taboo of cannibalism in and of itself. Now, still in 2022, there's still people in this world who practice cannibalism. And it's a thing that honestly has just happened since the beginning of time, that people who are trapped in a no-win situation. They have no way to survive. They have nothing to eat. Unfortunately, one of their party passes away. It's really easy to see how somebody could get into that mindset of, well, this person's no longer here spiritually, so I'm doing them honor by consuming their body so that I can live on because they've died for me. I guess what I'm saying is, without being in that position, it's really hard to look down on somebody who would resort to cannibalism. Now, obviously, someone who lives in modern society just going out killing people and eating them Jeffrey Dahmer style is definitely wrong and should be looked down upon. But I think that it's a really scary thing that a lot of us will never have to face, like the Donner Party, some of these First Nations people. They have really had to grapple with this reality that if someone is trapped, and they're not able to get back to where they need to be and they have no resources. I mean, this is a way that they would have to survive. I think it is a very, very good cautionary tale of cannibalism and excess and greed. Obviously nowadays, cannibalism still exists, but we do notice that they may not be as over the top anymore. These people who do practice cannibalism, they do tend to be the most evil of us, of us as humans, they tend to be the most evil that they tend to be the most sadistic and disgusting people. They're usually serial killers, serial rapists, something like that. So I think the Wendigo is a cautionary tale, but maybe it's just that the Wendigo is also a way for people to personify what they didn't understand. And that was the deep evils of humanity. 
think that makes a lot of sense. For people who don't really understand something that is occurring, it's really easy to create an other or an archetype of evil. So, you know, whether that be Satan or the Wendigo or witches, if they don't understand something, it's really easy to make a personification of that and place blame on something. You don't have to look inward at it. You can blame something else. Now, one thing I did want to mention in regards to the cannibalism of the Wendigo is the very real disease of Kuru. This is a disease that attacks the nervous system of a person who does consume human flesh. Now, the life expectancy of somebody who does have Kuru is about 11 to 14 months, or roughly about a year. This could very well make sense if someone did resort to cannibalism especially in some of these older stories like in the 1600s they wouldn't know what kuru was so all of a sudden this person there's something wrong with them physiologically and neurologically they also have this story of the wendigo fresh in their mind i ate human flesh and now i, I can't i can't satiate this this hunger so it can lead to a lot more mental disease with people with Kuru. So that could be an explanation for what happened when these people did eat human flesh. And then also the legend of the Wendigo on top of that, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy that the Wendigo became real. Yeah, that insatiable hunger, gluttony, greed, whatever they call it, that you get after consuming human flesh because you're never quite full. I think that's, yeah, I think that could be very well it. It was a condition that we didn't understand. So we made something of it to explain to ourselves this was an evil spirit that possessed us or possessed this person. So we have to make sure that we avoid what they did, which was eat human flesh, so that we don't follow the accelerated path of death that they have now come upon. Yeah, it's very similar to how it's believed that a lot of vampire legends are based in the outbreaks of tuberculosis, where a person would die of tuberculosis or consumption, they would be buried, and then there would be stories of this person rising from the grave and afflicting their fellow family members who were also infected with tuberculosis and dying very slowly and painfully. They would dig up these corpses of the freshly dead people they would have rosy color still in their face. And then because tuberculosis still affects your body, even after you've died, it might lead to blood leaking out of the mouth. So it looks like they've freshly fed. So I think that that's a really good, solid scientific explanation for maybe where the legend of the Wendigo did come from. But I still lead and lean into the fantastical and believe something like the Wendigo is a creature that does exist. Yeah, and I think that it isn't us being skeptical or disrespectful of ancient, of not ancient, but Native American cultures to say that sometimes when we don't understand things, we do associate them with evil spirits. Uh, we, t we tie them to the most rational things that we can think of, which is usually religion. We did the same thing with the Salem witch trials. It's not uncommon for anyone to tie something they don't understand tie it to something they do understand or they think they understand like religion or something of the like i do want to say that i feel like the wendigo reminds me of a lich you know what i'm talking about like a european lich oh yeah definitely it's a reanimated corpse now obviously it doesn't have like the same insatiable flesh but i thought about that when i first heard and read about the Wendigo, I was like, huh, this kind of reminds me of a lich. 
But I do want to talk about this because there are some versions of the Wendigo that will put it at standing over 15 feet tall. Descriptions always vary, but this description of a 15 foot tall creature with glowing eyes, long yellow things, claws, and a very long tongue. They sometimes have like yellowish skin. Other times they're covered with matted hair. But this is the interesting part to me. They're said to have a variety of skills and powers. You pointed one out, stealth. They're near perfect hunters. They know and use every inch of their territory. They can control the weather through dark magic. And obviously, they're both gluttonous and emaciated. So, the Wendigo does have, I think, more power than people give it credit for. If they can control the weather, if an absolute efficient killing machine like the Predator, I think that's important to bring up as well credit where credit is due. I feel like the Predator took a lot of inspiration from the legend of the Wendigo. I'd be really surprised if it's coincidental because the stealth, the mimicking of human voices, the depiction of it being far larger than humans, and also just the personification of the perfect hunter. One other thing that I did want to bring up is this could also be just a case of misidentification. If there is something that's 10 to 15 feet in the woods running around, horns on its head, and it's this terrifying creature. That's also a very succinct description of one of Loki's offspring, the Jotun. Look very similar to that. They also are horned, sometimes with two to four legs. It could be a thing where it could be a sighting of an ancient god, something from the old world bleeding over into the current world. Yeah, that's true. It could be something like a Jotun. It could be an old forest god. I mean, not all gods are benevolent. There are malevolent gods, especially forest gods who are defending their creatures and their land from intrusive species like humanity that are deforesting, that are killing the animals. So yeah, I mean, that could be the case that this could be a malevolent forest god that is, and that's why it's a near-perfect hunter. That's why it's invisible to you until it's right up on you. That's why it knows what you're thinking and can mimic the voices of your loved ones to draw you in closer for the kill. So yeah, I think that's a very good one too, yeah. Old gods like the Norse gods and other pagan gods, they stayed around longer than we thought or they never left. They just changed forms and got renamed. Like Odin got renamed to Santa Claus. This one obviously being much, much, much more serious and deadly. Yeah, yeah, much more sinister on this one. Now, I know that we did kind of want to save some of the stories about the Wendigo, some of the more modern stories for part two. But I feel like it is important to kind of talk about some of the the stories that really set off what the Wendigo is. Now, these are stories that one is from someone who is not a First Nations people, and then one is an encounter from a First Nations people. So I'll go ahead and read this first one. That's from 1661. Now this is a Jesuit relation document. The Jesuits had visited with the First Nations people, and this is what they talked about in their journal. What caused us greater concern was the intelligence that met us upon entering the lake. 
namely that the men deputed by our conductor to summon the nations of the North Sea and assigning them a rendezvous where they were to await our coming had met their death the previous winter in a very strange manner. Those poor men, according to the report given to us, were seized with an ailment unknown to us, but not very unusual among the people we were seeking. They are afflicted with neither lunacy, hypochondria, nor frenzy, but have a combination of all these species of disease, which affects their imagination and causes them a more than canine hunger. This makes them so ravenous for human flesh that they pounce upon women, children, even upon men, like veritable werewolves, and devour them voraciously, without being able to appease or glut their appetite, ever seeking fresh prey, and more greedily, the more they eat. This ailment attacked our deputies, and as death is the sole remedy among these simple people for checking such acts of murder, they were slain in order to stay the course of their madness. Now, like I said, this is from a Jesuit who was attempting to make contact with a tribe of First Nations people, and they came upon the people they were supposed to meet, and these people were just absolutely ravaged. Some, I'm sure, were in various states of decomposition or being eaten at the time, and there were some that were just out of their mind completely. We're talking of the spirit of the Wendigo, I'm sure, and they were just voraciously hungry and they were attacking men, women, and children. The fact that this story is rooted in someone who was an outsider to the First Nation, it's a really scary story, especially if you're someone who's trying to make contact with these people and you come upon something like this. Yeah, it's terrifying. I think to come across these encounters and these people recounting their tales of the ravaged bones and the death and just terrible, terrible tragedy that follows the Wendigo everywhere it goes. I wonder, do we ever think about, does the person who's possessed by the Wendigo lose all their humanity or do you think they're still in there somewhere just watching through glassed over eyes? I really think that it is for the people who don't seek out the possession of the Wendigo. I feel like it is almost like the spirit is taking them over. They're still in there and they're trapped. And this creature or spirit has full autonomy over them and they're just trapped. Evil, vile people who I'm sure would welcome the power that they would get from something like this. That's the scary thing about it is there are people in this world still to this day that would seek out that kind of power. The fact that they would welcome something so horrible where you're devouring human flesh of men, women, and children with little to no regard for anyone, that terrifies me that somebody would welcome something like that into themselves. Yeah, I think those who willingly accept the Wendigo into them are the most disgusting and evil. And I think the ones who are forced to accept the Wendigo into them are the most tragic and sad cases, kind of like werewolves almost, like especially unwilling werewolves who have woken up from their fervor to find that they have murdered their family. The other story that I wanted to share, this is probably the most famous case of a Wendigo. This one is from 1878 and it's about a Plains Cree trapper from Alberta, Canada named Swift Runner. Now this is known to be one of the worst cases of someone being afflicted with the spirit of a Wendigo. Swift Runner was a trader with the Hudson Bay 
company, and he was married and a father of six children. And then in 1875, he served as a guide to the Northwest Mounted Police. Sometime during the winter of 1878 to 1879, Swift Runner and his family were really, really far out, maybe around like 25 miles away from civilization and the Hudson Bay Company post. And for unknown reasons, they were starving. They had little to no resources, and his eldest son was the first to die. At some point, Swift Runner succumbed to this, what they call Wendigo psychosis, or succumbed to the spirit of the Wendigo itself. And even though there were emergency food supplies only 25 miles away, he didn't even try, decided to kill the remaining members of his family, so his wife and the other children, and he consumed them. This is one of the most famous cases because the First Nations people and the Algonquin people point to this as the cautionary tale. This is what happens whenever you allow the spirit of the Wendigo to take you. You will kill your family with no regard and you will devour them and you will have no remorse for it. The fact that this story is 100% real, I think it leads a lot of credence to maybe there is something more going on with things out there in the northern woods as opposed to just this psychosis yeah and i actually do want to expand a little bit on the swift runner story because i found an account that has a lot of detail it's a very detailed account from godsandmonsters.com swift runner he did come into town in the spring of 1879 without his wife and family and obviously his in-laws became suspicious so they went to the northwest mounted police and Swift Runner willingly, obligingly showed these mounted policemen to a small grave near his campsite, where he said that one of his boys had died and was buried there. The police, or the mounted police, opened the grave and they found undisturbed bones. However, there were bones strewn around the encampment. At which point, one of the inspectors, uh, Seve Gagnon, Gagnon produced a skull it's which Swift Runner willingly admitted to being that of his wife and without much prodding Swift Runner then revealed what happened to the rest of his family I will warn you this is graphic at first Swift Runner became haunted by dreams a Wendigo spirit called on him consumed the people around him. The spirit crept through his mind, gradually taking control. Till finally, he was Wendigo, and Swift Runner no longer existed. That is when the Wendigo, formerly Swift Runner, killed and ate his wife. With that accomplished, the Wendigo forced one of Swift Runner's children, one of his boys, kill and butcher his younger brother. While enjoying this grisly, grisly, disgusting feat, Swift Runner, or the Wendigo, I should say, hung one of Swift Runner's infant children by the neck from a lodgepole and tugged at the baby's dangling feet. It was later shown that he had also done away with Swift Runner's brother and his mother-in-law, though he acknowledged she had been, quote, a bit tough. 
the revolted mounted police party hauled Swift Runner and the mutilated evidence back to Fort Saskatchewan. It was a quick trial on August 8th of 1879, and he was hung. That is the grisly, disgusting details of what a man possessed by a Wendigo is capable of. And like Keith said, every legend is based in some sort of fact. There's a reason that there's a sign outside of a store saying, do not surf with the picnic tables. This is one of those, that's why there's a sign saying, don't eat your family. And that just seems like good advice. Like, like don't eat yellow snow. What's, what's some others? Don't put your head in the microwave and don't eat your family. <laughs> seems like it would be something that would be common sense, but apparently not. One other person I did want to bring up that's hand in hand with the Wendigo mythology and legend and lore is the person by the name of Jack Fiddler. Now, Jack Fiddler is a self-described Wendigo hunter, and he was alive from 1839 to 1907. In his story, he had recounted that he had encountered and destroyed numerous Wendigo. And he was one of the only people who can say that he was someone who could defeat the Wendigo. His idea of defeating the Wendigo was murdering the person who was afflicted by the Wendigo spirit. It's just really weird. I'm not sure if this is something that I want to believe that this person was able to figure out a way to defeat these 14 Wendigo. And he was able to actually save these people's souls by unfortunately euthanizing the people who were afflicted by it. Or if this guy was just a, a murderer in of himself and he was just found a way to get away with murder. Eventually he was arrested for these murders. And if I remember correctly, he was in prison for these. I think he killed himself whenever he was arrested for it. Another strange thing, like you hear about, like it would be like a Sasquatch hunter. Oh, I found a Sasquatch and I've killed it. And then all of a sudden he gets arrested and he kills himself for it. It's just a really weird thing that goes hand in hand with the Wendigo legend that there was this supposed Wendigo hunter. I think it's important to bring up that people can say they're doing whatever they want but if you're killing people you're probably not on the side of the or you're not in the opposition of the Wendigo I do want to change gears a bit to something a little more lighthearted to uh, kind of put this episode to a close here because I know the last thing you all heard me talk about in this episode was how Swift Runner hung a baby I do want to talk about the Wendigo in pop culture just a little bit the Wendigo was a recurring villain in the original Incredible Hulk comic book series. It was a monster that is a result of a curse that afflicts those who commit acts of cannibalism. It first appeared in the Incredible Hulk issue number 162, which was in April 1973. But the one I want to talk about actually happened a year later in October of 1974. It faces off against the Hulk again in issues number 180 and 181. Issue number 181 is very important. Do you want to guess why? I know why, and I'm really excited that you took it to this place. It's because that's the first time the Wolverine ever shows up in a Marvel comic. The Wolverine makes his debut in October 1974, Incredible Hulk issue 181, fighting the Wendigo and the Hulk. 
it's just such a cool introduction of a character who became synonymous with the Marvel Universe. And then, of course, the Wendigo was actually in season one of the show Supernatural, which I know I'm a big fan of, and I know some of our listeners are as well, like our friend Brett. And it's one of the most spot-on depictions of what the Wendigo is. It's very emaciated, a very creepy-looking thing, and they eventually do destroy it with fire, which is one of the ways that you can destroy it because its heart is supposedly supposed to be ice. So if you are able to destroy it with fire, the thought is that it destroys its icy heart. One other thing that I didn't want to mention, this movie, I was so excited for this movie whenever I first heard that it was coming out. It's a movie called Antlers. Unfortunately, this movie was pushed back almost to oblivion because of the pandemic. It was eventually released in 2021. This movie has Harry Russell, and this movie is incredible. If you've paid attention to what we've talked about, the legend, the lore, and the myth of the Wendigo, I mean, I feel like a lot of people would really enjoy this movie. It's basically about this small town in central Oregon where this little boy, he starts to show signs of abuse. So then Carrie Russell's character tries to get involved in his life and figure out what's going on. They encounter this legendary creature. Now, one of the reasons that this movie is so good is because of the creature effects and Guillermo del Toro was producer. The man knows his creatures and his cryptids and his monsters, so highly recommend that one. If I had to give it a rating, I'd give it like a 4.5 out of 5, but I thought it was really cool to see this creature being brought to life. The only other aspect that I can think of that it's actually been shown is the remake of Pet Cemetery. It appears in, in that for maybe like all of like two or three seconds, but in the book, the Wendigo is the evil spirit that compels people to bury their loved ones in the pet cemetery so they're resurrected as something that's not the person that they put to rest. So I thought it was really cool to actually see that. Whenever my wife and I went and saw it in the theaters, I geeked out whenever I saw it. It's just really cool to see this character getting a lot more notoriety, so to speak. And I, th I think that this one would be another cool one for the guys who did the Annabelle and La Llorona movies. Really base it in reality and just have a really dark, gritty depiction of this. I think it would be a really effective horror movie. I think the Wendigo is nightmare fuel for days and days. And I think I'm surprised there aren't more B2C horror movies about it. I'd like to see someone really just tackle it and give us that big budget the conjuring style for the wendigo done in the right way i think the wendigo is the most terrifying thing to ever exist but i know that we're doing a part two where we're going to talk more about wendigo encounters and wendigo stories so we'll hold off on rating the wendigo for now but next time we will talk about encounters and stories of Wendigos because there are quite a few. Um, Keith, do you have anything to add to this? Yeah, I, I did just want to mention one other thing in pop culture. I completely forgot about this. Until Dawn handles the Wendigo legend very, very well. So that's a really fun game that my wife loves to watch me play. She likes to make me make the worst decisions for the characters so they just die in horrible ways. That's another just pop culture thing I wanted to mention briefly. But yeah, I think it'll be really exciting to get into some of the stories that are are more from the modern era to kind of talk about because there's still sightings to this day of this creature. So I'm really excited for part two. to get. Yeah, me too. So we'll just go ahead and cap this episode off here. 
I will say that Oddity is written and produced by me, Joe, and Keith. All audio is used under the protection of fair use. And obviously, find us on Twitter at OddityTO. That's Oddity2 or TO, like timeout. And you can email us at podcast at oddity.studio. Next time you hear from us, it'll be talking about Wendigo stories. You'll get our ratings, you'll get our commentary, and maybe a few theories. And until then, I'm going to go ahead and sign off. As a reminder, just don't eat your family members. That's it. Just don't eat them. Common sense, but you'd be surprised. Have a good night, everybody.